The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Balthasar Gracian once said, Never open the door to a lesser evil, for other and greater ones will invariably slink in after it. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do demons influence our world? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 33 and 34. In the synagogue, there were a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Okay, so how do demons influence our world? Last week we talked about angels, uh, and this week we talk about demons. And, and you know, Jonathan, we are really messed up. Let's face the fact. Just look around you and observe the kinds of things that we call entertainment, and it quickly becomes obviously that human minds have an unhealthy fascination with the powers of darkness. How many movies, TV, and online series and stories focus on dark spiritual power? How many depictions of Satan and his demons do we see and shudder at? And what's worse, computer-generated imagery can absolutely bring these things to life. Once we begin going down the imaginary road of what the demonic world might look like and feel like, it's just one small step before we accept this imagery as a a reality that uh, might be kind of cool. Well, look, here's a newsflash. There is nothing kind of cool, at all cool, at all good about evil. And Jonathan, that's really what what we are talking about today. We are going to spend the next 90 minutes talking about darkness and how to avoid it, plain and simple. So coming up in today's podcast, first thing, folks, we want to let you know is demons are real. If you go by movie imagery, they are vile and disgusting creatures. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is that an accurate depiction? The Bible actually sheds a stunning light on the answer to this. How did demons become demons? Were they born that way? No. Were they created that way? No. Well, well, the Bible tells us exactly how they came to be, what they are, and we're going to talk about that. Where do demons live? What are the living conditions? Interestingly, the Bible tells us that too. Can demons really possess someone? If they can, why would they do that? What would they gain? Again, the Bible has answers. But first, let's start at the beginning, and let's track the origin of demons. So, Jonathan, that's where we need to start. We need to start by tracking the origin of demons. To get started with that, though, we want to start to tell you a story uh, through soundbites, through a TED Talk. from her, Her name is Carrie Poppy, and it's called A Scientific Approach to the Paranormal. Uh, True story. And it's kind of scary as you see this story unfold. So we're going to start with the story, then we're going to get to 
figuring out the demonic origins that we were just talking about. So let's listen first. Eight years ago, I was haunted by an evil spirit. I was 25 at the time, and I was living in a tiny house behind someone else's house in Los Angeles. It was this guest house. It had kind of been dilapidated, not taken care of for a long time. And one night, I was sitting there, and I got this, this really spooky feeling, kind of the feeling like you're being watched, but no one was there except my two dogs, and they were just chewing their feet. I started to feel this, this pressure in my chest, sort of like the feeling when you get bad news, but it started to sink lower and lower and almost hurt. And over the course of that week, this feeling got worse and worse, and I started to become convinced something was there in my little guest house haunting me. And I started to hear these sounds this whoosh kind of whisper, like something passing through me. And I called my best friend, Claire, and I said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but um, I think there's a ghost in my house. I need to get rid of it. <laughs> you, know, you know, she's laughing, but boy, that is a scary thing. That is. I mean, the, the, the feeling, the, the, the pressure, the hearing things, you know, that's, that foreboding sense, that's just plain scary. And you think, my gosh, what is going on? And we're going to unfold that story as we go through the, uh, the podcast, so you want to stay with us for that. So, Jonathan, let's get to the whole idea of, of demons. Where did they originate? We know Satan was the first spiritual influence to turn demonic. And it's interesting that in the scriptures, prophetically— what happened is described, but it's, it's kind of veiled because it's in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 to 17, and this is actually being spoken to the king of Tyre. And you say, well, how can you possibly take something being spoken to the king of Tyre and say, well, it's all about Satan? Because what it was spoken of couldn't possibly have happened to the king of Tyre. So it's a prophecy. So, Jonathan, let's go through this. We're going to pick selected verses because there's a lot here and just try to track what happened with Satan uh, in long, long, long ago. Thou wast in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Thou, waste the, thou wast the anointed cherub that covereth, and I set thee, so that thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down the midst of the stones of fire." Okay, so, so let, let's go slowly here. This is saying you were in Eden, the garden, so the, gar the garden of Eden. Right. So the garden of God, and you were special. It's, it's talking about every precious stone was thy covering. It's giving you the sense of something very, very high and powerful and special. You were the anointed cherub that covers. We so, talked about cherubs last, last podcast. So you have the being Lucifer being described in this very high and lofty and respected position in Eden. And, it's, and it says, I set thee there. In other words, God put him there, and you were upon the holy mountain of God, and you walked up, up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. I don't know what those stones of fire are, but they're pretty awesome, whatever they are. But it sounds like he gave, God gave 
Lucifer responsibility. He said the cherub that covereth. Right. So so he is kind of watching over, protecting the Garden of Eden. Is that what yes. your sense is, Rick? Absolutely. He was given positive responsibility there. Let's go now to the next couple of verses. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till unrighteousness was found in thee. Thou hast sinned. Therefore have I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. So you were perfect, and uh, then there was unrighteousness, and then it, it's saying I've cast thee out of the mountain of God as, as profane. And the word for profane means uh, polluted, to defile, to desecrate. So something that is rotten, that does no longer, that no longer belongs, and, and God says, I have, I have cast you out of the mountain of God because you were bright and glorious, but you took that and you sinned with it. And that's what's described in the next few verses. And I have destroyed thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I have cast thee to the ground. So there's a lot there. He's describing the casting out of the heavenly uh, favor away from the stones of fire, away from the mountain of God. And he said, you were lifted up because of your incredible beauty and you were corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. So the incredible brightness of this morning star, Lucifer, became uh, a, a, a temptation for him. His power and his glory was too much for him, and it, it turned him the wrong way. And I think the word pride <laughs> took over in his heart. Yeah, we have the uh, Isaiah prophecy that says, I will be like the Most High. So absolutely, yes. pride took over. Satan was a cherubim, positioned on somewhat of a permanent basis to protect, like you said, to cover. He was originally a magnificent powerful and beautiful morning star, a very high and respected creation of God. He became demonic because he rebelled against God. So as we go through our podcast today, Jonathan, we're going to stop at several points and talk about deconstructing demonism. And what's our first point for deconstructing demonism? Lucifer was a powerful son of God sent to do the work of God. Instead, he turned on his creator and sought to become God to the human race, the first demon. So here's the problem. God created him, endowed him with great power, with great authority, with great beauty, with great respect, and he took those things that he was given by his creator, and he turned against the creator and sought to overthrow the creator in relation to the creation, the, the, the earthly creation. That rebellion takes the good and turns it to evil. And God will not keep that at, at that same level. So it says that he was cast down to the ground. I think that's kind of interesting because he was sent to Eden to protect and God sort of cast him down there and said, okay, you're locked out now, essentially. You cannot be part of the light that you were once so respected in any longer. So Lucifer was a powerful son of God, but he turned on his creator and tried to usurp the creator's authority, and that's where demonism begins. So the usurpation of God's authority is the beginning of demonism. 
Well, Rick, after him, others followed, didn't they? Yes. Satan in his power influenced other sons of God toward rebellion. And we, we talked about sons of God last week with the Angels uh, podcast as well. Let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. We'll take it in pieces. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that they chose. So these sons of God, now notice it doesn't say angels. It says these sons of God were dabbling in the lives of mankind of their own desires, and therefore they had ceased to be messengers of God. That's why they're not called angels here. Because an angel's a messenger of God. Go ahead. And Rick, these spirit beings were interfering in the lives of men and women, obviously. Uh, and it was not the intent of God for this to take place at all. And, and see, that's a, that's a really important point. Remember when we talked about angels last week, angels come and do what they're supposed to do according to God's will, and then they leave when they're done. Exactly. This was a meddling in the affairs of humanity. It wasn't going on a mission for God. It wasn't being deputized to carry out God's will. It was something entirely different. And they procreated. Now let's go to verse 4. The Nephilim were in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. And Rick, when I, I hear that phrase, that reminds me about Greek mythology. <laughs> in Greek mythology, it has a small basis of truth yeah. in it. Yeah. You, spirit, spirit mingling with earthly. Right, right. You have that the Hercules, you know, a son of a, 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 a spiritual being and, a, and a, an earthly woman. Well, right. There's a truth to that right there, there in Scripture. And the truth is not good, incidentally, not good at all. These demons acted against not only the will of God, but they acted against the design of God and mixed spirit with flesh and bore a hybrid race that did not belong because it was far outside of the, quote, very good creation of God. Remember when God finished the creation, he looked at it all, and he said, and it was very good. Yes. This is adding to the very good, and that's very bad, okay? You can't add to God's very good, and that's what was happening here. And what's God's response to this, obviously? And Jehovah saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every imagination and thought of his heart was only evil continually. Thanks to Satan and the fallen angels uh, for that, because it was their influence that caused that that degrading so rapidly. Yeah, and you know, and, and someone can argue and say, oh, okay, so you're, what you're saying is that human beings were unfairly influenced by spiritual beings, so it really wasn't their fault. Well, let's understand that this was in, the, in, in, in respect to God being the creator, everybody knew it in those early, early times. This was no accident about understanding who God was. It's not like it is today. So there was a much higher level of responsibility and a much higher level of knowing uh, because, you know, there was only uh, just a few generations between Adam and Noah. I think there, were, right. there were seven generations, and, and Adam uh, lived to see Lamech, who bore Methuselah, who died at the flood, just before the flood. So you had the message of who God was always there, and humanity chose 
to go down that different road. So this action brought the permeation of evil throughout all of humankind. And you're right, the, 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 the spirits did, the evil spirits did have a, a part in that. And evil founded in not only disobedience, but in defiance of God. And see, Jonathan, that's the thing. It's not just simply disobeying, it's being defiant of the God-ordained order of creation and bringing, brought their dismissal. So, you know, when we look at this, it creates a really, really very, very dark and sinister environment here. So what's our deconstructing demonism point for this part about the sons of God and the Nephilim and all of that? Well, Rick, other sons of God followed Satan in his ego to do things their own way. Okay, they followed Satan and Satan's ego and decided to do things their own own way. And see, that's the rebellion. That's the defiance. It's not simply saying, no, I don't want to do that. It's saying, I'm going to do it this, and I'm going to do this my way. I don't care, God, what you have said. That's what Satan said. That's what Satan did. And that's what he taught these others to do. So we are in a position of looking at all this saying, wow, there's some pretty significant darkness that happens there with that very first demonic influence named Lucifer, who became Satan. Sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around the idea that all of God's heavenly hosts was not obedient. There are rebels within the heavenly hosts. What does God do about them? Do they get away with it? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. God always has sin and rebellion firmly in his control, though to us it looks like it's exactly the opposite. We see the darkness and its diabolical results and feel like there's no way out. God sees the big picture, and while he does let evil have its day, his wayward heavenly sons do lose privileges. And Jonathan, we're going to begin talking about that in some great detail in this segment about what happened to these sons of God that were in were first disobedient and then plain old defiant uh, to God's will and God's way. But before we get to them, let's go back to the story with uh, Kerry Poppy, the scientific approach to the paranormal. This was a TED Talk. And if you recall, in her first, in the first segment, she said, okay, uh, several years ago, I was haunted by some spirit in this house, and she was describing it, and it's kind of a spooky thing that she's describing. So she calls her best friend, because, you know, what else are you going to do? You call your friend and say, what do I do? Well, let's see what her friend tells her. And, uh, and she said, she's very open-minded, and she said, I don't think you're crazy. Um, I think you just need to do a cleansing ritual. Uh, so... Uh, get some sage and burn it and uh, tell it to go away. So I said, okay. And um, I went and I bought sage and I had never done this before. So set the sage on fire, um, waved it about and said, go away. This is my house. I live here. You don't live here. Uh, But the feeling stayed. Nothing got better. 
And, um, and then I started to think, okay, well, now this thing's probably just laughing at me because, uh, you know, it hasn't left, and I probably just look like this impotent, powerless thing that couldn't get it to go away. And so every day I'd come home, and you guys, this, this feeling got so bad that, I mean, I'm laughing at it now, but I would, I would sit there in bed and I, I would cry every night. Um, and the feeling on my chest got worse and worse. It was, it was physically painful. That's scary. You know, and it, it's funny, the, the, the part where, you know, she tries to do the, the, the cleansing thing, whatever that is. And, but, but the bottom line is she's afraid. Yes, absolutely. She's afraid because she's feeling like there's something much bigger than me that I can't get rid of. And what am I supposed to do? And, you know, and you get that spooked feeling when you hear a story like that and say, well, you know, what, what's going to happen? Again, this becomes a very fascinating story. So stay with us as we continue to unfold it. So, Jonathan, at the beginning of the segment, we we're talking about rebels in heaven and consequences. So let's start to talk about consequences. The consequences given to the spirit beings who followed Satan's rebellion, rebellious footsteps. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, because it kind of gives a sense of a consequence. It's going to need a lot of explanation. For if God spared not angels when they sinned, but cast them down to Tartaro and committed them to chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Okay. So we're going to discuss this in some detail in a moment, but let's kind of put the general story on the table, okay? These who sinned were cast down and out of the light. Uh, it says chains of darkness. That's why we know they're cast out of the light, limiting their power and limiting their influence, but not removing all of their ability. You know, it says they're in the, in this Tartaru situation. We'll get to that shortly. Uh, they have limited power because they're held in chains, and those chains are darkness, and they're being held for judgment. So this is, this is not a good situation for them. It's not, Rick, but the obvious question comes to mind. Why didn't God just destroy them because they disobeyed? You know, and that, that's an important, important question. And I would say the same reason he didn't destroy Adam when he disobeyed, because God understands the power of choice. And I think that as we look at scriptures, he honors the power of choice, and even when choice goes awry, he gives opportunity for that choice to be corrected through experience and observation. So I think he didn't destroy them because he was giving them opportunity and, you know, for us, it looks like, well, it's, well, you get it over with already, but, you know, God's eternal. We're, we're, we're like a moment. And so our perspective is very different. God always gives a perpetrator of evil a chance. And even if they don't take it, their experience will be an eternal example. See, I think that, and I'm going to run ahead for a second. Satan, I think, given, is given an opportunity to repent. He won't take it. The prophecies tell us he won't. And his experience then will be an example for all of eternity. Um, so before we go further with the next scripture, Jonathan, we're going to go to Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. But uh, Trish has, has, has blasted into the room uh, with a comment or something. It must be good. So let's see what she's got to say. Yeah, right. Hello. Also- oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Trish. Hi. Hi. Okay. Was God surprised... Was it like, 
What did I do? How did this happen? I created these people. I've got these angels. And what a mess is made. What do I do now? Was he like in a, in a panic? What do I do? Yeah, okay. So the question is, Did God, that's a good question. Did God have to call an emergency meeting and saying, you know, we've had a malfunction in Sector 7. What do we do? No, he wasn't. He wasn't surprised. He knows the power of choice, and it all works out within his grand plan to allow evil so evil can be seen and experienced and understood and then put away forever. So no, God was not at all surprised, and that's why his plan is so good. And I love the scripture that uh, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, yep. Jesus, God knew that somehow things would go awry and he planned for that misstep. Right. Right. And, and there's a lot to that little phrase, you know, from before the foundation of the world. We're not going to take the time to get into it, but it really is fascinating when you realize what that really means and at what point in time all of that happened. But let's, let's get to Jude chapter 1, uh, verses 6 and 7. We're going to be doing, reading this from the Rotherham translation, and we're going to be discussing the penalties, the, the, the restraints upon these demons, these, these what once were messengers of God. Messengers also, even them who kept not their own principality, but had forsaken their proper dwelling unto the judgment of the great day, in perpetual bonds under thick gloom hath he reserved. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having in like manner to these given themselves over to fornication and gone away after other kind of flesh, lie exposed as an example a penalty of age-abiding fire undergoing. You know, and again, there's a lot there. It talks, it gives more description of the penalty uh, and the, the, the withholding that happens to these, to these sons of God that went astray. In perpetual bonds under thick gloom, he's reserved them. And he uses the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, those, those cities were destroyed. Yes, they were. And they were an example, an age-abiding, uh, uh, an example of age-abiding fire. In other words, an example of destruction. Of course, we know, because the scriptures tell us, that Sodom and Gomorrah do have a resurrection. Yes, they do. So they were an example with their evil, but God gives them an opportunity. So with these demons, perpetual bonds under thick gloom. And you think about that. And you think what it must be like in heaven and the bright, light, and profound uh, wisdom and glory, and then to be held, go from there to these bonds of thick gloom. It's like, that's a crazy place to go. So let's talk about Tartarou. What is this Tartarou thing? Is it a place? Is it a condition? Is it where demons live? Well, Rick, in other scriptures, we know that um, these fallen angels, these demons, are over Earth's atmosphere, um, creating havoc, uh, interfering in men's lives. So we know that much, right? So part of the darkness and the thick gloom is, you're right, that's where they are. So that has got to be part of what this all means. So this word for Tartarou, how, how, how is it typically translated in, in Scripture? Well, uh, the word hell, it's translated to the word hell. Okay, and, and you know, so, and here sometimes it's translated Tartarus. Um, it's only used once in Scripture, just this one time. You see it once, and it's here, then it's gone. So the scriptural, um, the scriptures actually describe what it is, 
And and the, the actual physical definition of the word Jonathan is what? The deepest abyss of hell. And so you look at that and you say, okay. And, you know, now we've talked about the idea of a burning hell not being, you know, not being real. And it's not. Because an abyss, the deep abyss is a symbol of deep darkness. Under the earth, it's dark. Hell, in Old English, used to mean to cover over. Okay, when you held potatoes, you buried them. You know, right. you, you put them in the, in, in, in the cellar there. So... The deepest abyss of darkness. That's what this really is showing us. The, the word's a verb, which is kind of interesting. So it's not a place that they go, but more of an action, because that's what a verb is. So a couple of bullet points here, Jonathan. What are they? Well, Second Peter 2, verse 4, sinful angels were sent there, chains of darkness, and they were reserved for judgment. Okay, so they were sent. Now, we just said it's not a place. So when we say sent there, maybe we should say they were sent to this condition of darkness. This dwelling condition. So Tartarus is a condition, a dwelling condition of darkness. It's like, it, it's like if you're sick and you have a fever and you're sitting there and you're wrapped up in a blanket and you're shivering. That's your condition. Their condition was darkness and gloom and restraint. And what was the other point? In Jude 1.6, sinful angels forsook their proper rank now in perpetual bonds in darkness. Okay, it's all about darkness, and it's all about restraint. The sinning demons were cast out of God's heavenly light into a condition of darkness and limitation, and Tartaru explains the action of living with all those, those restraints. So instead of being glorious and full of light and bursting with the power and wisdom of God, it's exactly the opposite. So what's our deconstructing demonism point uh, up to this point about their condition? Well, God has severely stifled those who rebelled against him. In this limited state, they are still capable of wrecking havoc, but their havoc is on a much smaller scale. So this is important. You know, we're saying demons are real. Yes, they are. And you said that they, 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 they have influence on men's lives. Yes, they do. But the kind of havoc that they are able to, 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 to produce is different than the kind of havoc that they were able to produce earlier. They are in these chains of darkness and they are restrained and they are looking and trying to break out of that, we will see uh, according to several scriptures, and trying to, to grab onto power and light wherever they can. And that's what makes them even, even more insidious. So let's continue then. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. And we'll take this in a whole bunch of pieces. Okay. For Christ also died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Okay, so let's, let, let's, let's notice the focus here. Jesus righteously died for sin and was righteously raised in power. That's a simple thing, has nothing to do with demons. But here's the thing, Jonathan. Contrast that with the actions of Satan. Satan was grabbing after higher power. Jesus earned higher power. I like that. There's a huge, huge difference. He earned it by doing the will of God. Let's continue verse 19. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. You know, and, and I think this verse gets really, really dramatically mistranslated. Jesus did not go to the prison house where the demons are and visit them. 
to witness to them. You know, it sounds this, the scripture sounds like that in some ways, but in which, what do you mean in which? Having been put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. In other words, his actions and God's responses to his actions were a witness to them. So they can see some things. So, you know, we're learning what they see and what they can't see. And they saw that. And it was a witness to those fallen angels that are now demonic. And he showed them God's plan by seeing they saw how he was victorious over everything. And it gave them a sense of God is bigger. God is stronger. God is more powerful. God's power and God's authority. That's what they were shown. Jesus didn't just die for us. Well, wait, wait a minute, Rick. Uh, <laughs> hold on there. Okay, uh, okay, okay. Now, spirit beings are not a part of the ransom price You're that right. Christ died for, are they? No, absolutely not. But okay. what Jesus did was provide them an opportunity through observation. That's what he did. So you're right. He died for the world of mankind. Perfect man for a perfect man. But well, he so so they're so he's giving them through that example an opportunity to repent. Yes. In this place of darkness that they're stuck in. They can see if okay. they choose to see that the light of God is bigger, more powerful and is not going to be stopped. What okay. they what they do with that information is up to them. And that makes sense because in the scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, the church from heaven will be judging even angels. So that judgment day for humanity and judgment for angels will see where the true hearts were of those angels that, that did right. fall. Right, right. But okay, interesting. So, so Jesus, you're right, didn't die for them. But as a result of his death, they gained something positive if they choose to use it. Go to verse 20 in this verse. Who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So again, it's going back to telling us that those demons back then are still the ones being talked about in First Peter. So you have this class of the heavenly host that fell to follow Satan and now are in this position of being... Uh, restrained in darkness. So these once bright and shining sons of God are now followers of Satan, relegated to the shadows of earth, but still powerful and still influential. Don't let the darkness fool you. So here's the question, Jonathan, what do they want with us? Good question. <laughs> well, and, and we need to get into that in, in the next segment in, in a big way. But uh, right now, at our, our, our deconstructing demon, demonism point based on this first Peter scripture that gives us the contrast of Jesus and Satan and his witness to them by his faithfulness. What's our deconstructing demonism point? God, through Jesus, displays righteous opportunity even to demons. Now, look. They have opportunity. God is not going to bend over backwards for them and say, oh, pretty, please repent. They are powerful. They had God's wisdom. They know better. They choose, and they suffer the consequences of their choice, or they reap the benefits of their choice. God leaves it just like with us. You know, being bought with the ransom price leaves it to each of the, uh, each individual. So it doesn't matter who you are or how powerful you are. Disobedience to God always brings consequences. Even though demons are limited, what do they do to influence humanity? And how do they do it? 
If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. Here's where it really gets sobering. Now we're going to look squarely at the power and influence that demons have. This power and influence can be both subtle and overt, as we will see in a few examples of how they operated in biblical times. What we see in the Bible is a warning for us all here and now. And folks, I cannot stress enough how you have to take this seriously. This is not something to mess around with. And Jonathan, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but let's just pause right here and you know, throw it out there. You know, When kids play around with Ouija boards and, and do all that kind of stuff, you are just, it's, it's not a good place. No, no, you're just opening a door to something you don't want to be near. Yes, you are messing with power that is so far beyond you that you, it's just, it's just, you just leave it be. You walk the other way. And are we trying to scare you? Yep. Why? Because these are powers and principalities that are above us as human beings. And do not, do not mess around with it. Let's get back to Carrie Poppy. Now, you know, she uh, was really feeling very, 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 uh, very uh, beaten by this, this thing that she feels is, is, is possessing her, her home. So what does she do? This is a fascinating turn of events here. So finally, I got on the internet and I googled hauntings. And I came upon this forum of ghost hunters, but these were a special kind of ghost hunters. They were skeptics. And so they believed that every case of ghosts that they had investigated so far had been explained away by science. And I was like, okay, smart guys. Um, this is what's happening to me, and if you have an explanation for me, I would love to hear it. And one of them said, okay, um, have you heard of carbon monoxide poisoning? Like, like gas poisoning? So carbon monoxide poisoning is when you have a gas leak leaking into your home. And uh, I looked it up, and the symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning include a pressure on your chest, auditory hallucinations, and an unexplained feeling of dread. So that night, I called the gas company. I said, I have an emergency. Um, need you to come out. Don't want to get into the story now, but I need you to come out. They uh, came out. I said, I suspect a gas leak. Uh, they brought their carbon monoxide detector. And the man said, um, it's... It Thing that you called us tonight because you could have been dead very soon. So the haunting was a gas leak. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's, and that, 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 it's a strange turn of events because, you know, here we are building up saying stay away from demons and then you do that. And, and there's, there's a reason for that because we have to take it for, for the reality that it is. And we live in a world, Jonathan, that people want 
to have this demonic influence around. We love to toy with it. We love, not me, I don't. I, I run away. It scares me, okay? But, but, you know, we love as a society to toy with it and to believe in it and to get spooked by it. And that feeling of being scared is just exhilarating. And, 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 you know, then you hear a sound in your house and you go to get all, all, have all kinds of fits and things. And, and, and we love that exhilaration, not realizing that we are actually walking toward a doorway into a darkness that we should not ever go towards. So let's get back to demons now. It's an interesting story. We're going to hear more from from, uh, Carrie in terms of what she does from there. But let's get back to the demons now. Demons manipulate some people, giving others opportunity to profit from it. And you think about that. They manipulate some and give others opportunity. What kind of being is that? Well, Acts 16, 16 to 18 tells us exactly that. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now, this is pretty dramatic. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of pieces here. First of all, there's a slave girl. Let's, let's focus on the concept that she's a slave. Okay. And she's got these masters of her because she has this this demon possessing her. She's got this spirit of divination, of being able to to see things. And she cries out and makes a ruckus, and and they make money on her. She sees the Apostle Paul and those with him, and she says, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, Jonathan, was, was that demon telling the truth? Absolutely. No doubt about it. So that was a proclamation of absolute positive truth. But it was from a demon, Rick. So the Apostle Paul gets annoyed. Oh, he does. And you, you say, okay, well, why would he get annoyed if, this is, if, if this, this is truth being spoken? Because it's coming from darkness. And he wants to be sure that the gospel comes from the purest place possible. Forget about the darkness. You've got to to divorce yourself from it. So he reacts to the truth that this demon-possessed woman speaks because he wants the gospel that he preaches to have no part of anything that comes from darkness, even if it's truth. And John, even, even to his detriment, Rick, because he was thrown into prison <laughs> right after that experience. Yeah, because because of doing that, right? And he, and he cost those guys their their income. Yeah, because and he got whipped. <laughs> that's right. And he frees this young woman from the demon possession, and it costs them their income, and he gets into trouble. But yep. see, Jonathan, this is a huge example for us here now today. We should not want the light of God's truth, to ever be confused with or proclaimed through channels of darkness. You've got to stay separate. The the Apostle Paul made it that way, and it cost him dearly. Deconstructing demonism point here, what is it? 
Demons clearly have no respect for humans. They are only about power. Okay, so it's about power. And, we're, and that's a theme that's going to be coming out again and again and again. And I just want to plant the seed. Why is it about power? Because they're restrained in chains of darkness. Were they great and mighty and powerful as angels oh, of yes. God? Big time. You want what you had, and you're going to try to get it any way you can. They're about power. Restraint takes that power away, and it makes you want it even more. Demons possess humans never to any good end. Luke chapter 4, another example. Luke 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 31 to 37, and we'll take this in a few pieces as well. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. You know, and, and I really like the way that's described. His message was with authority. They're amazed. And now, obviously, we read ahead, so we know what's coming. So that my, my comment is going to be set up because I already read, <laughs> okay, what's coming. But, you know, Jesus must have been speaking plainly about his representation of God and the kingdom. Perhaps he knew that there was a demon-possessed man in the audience. And perhaps, maybe he saw it, maybe he could feel it, I don't know, but perhaps he was there and he wanted to challenge that demon for being there because he's teaching them on the Sabbath. He's in a very God-respecting position, and you've got this demon of darkness that's there in the audience. And so, verses 33 and 34, sure enough, what do they show us? In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. So again, now obviously this, this experience happened before the Acts experience, but you know we're taking them in a, in a reverse order. But again, what we see is the demon knows a thing or two about God's plan. He knows Jesus is the Messiah. He knows he's the Holy One of God. And he, um, Jesus in his preaching says something that makes this demon react. It makes him react. That's why I think he was challenging the demonic influence and in whatever it was that he was preaching, because he was preaching with such authority. And he said, and, and 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 the demon cries out through the man, "Let us alone! What 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 is all what is about? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God." So he is proclaiming again a pure, complete, unadulterated truth. The demon possessed man speaks up as the demonic influence knows. The danger it's facing. And see, Jonathan, I think there is a key. Remember we said it's all about power? Oh, yeah. Well, when you're seeking for power, comes against a power that is greater than that you can reach, now you're afraid. For sure. And darkness, and, and here's the thing about darkness, folks. In our world, the demonic world is afraid. It is afraid of the light. It is. Now, it's not necessarily afraid of you or I but it's afraid of the light. It's afraid of God and his power and his influence because that can crush them in an instant. So this demon essentially throws down the gauntlet and says, I know who you are, Holy One of God. What have you got to do with us? Leave us alone. What's Jesus' response? And this is, this is, a, this is this, I, I love this story, Jonathan, because it's, it has so much 
in understanding how this all works. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out and without doing him any harm. So several pieces to this. Uh, you know, first of all, G- Jesus says, be quiet. And he says, and then he commands him to come out of him. And then the demon does listen. But the be quiet, I think this is an interesting commentary. Matthew Henry com- Henry's commentary on this is, is pretty interesting. Christ has the devil under check. He rebuked him saying, hold thy peace. And this word he spake with power. Be muzzled. Christ did not only enjoin him silence, but stopped his mouth and forced him to be silent against his will. So you see the power of Jesus before this spirit being. And he says, be quiet. And the demon essentially is muzzled. He can no longer speak. And then Jesus says to him, come out of him. And the demonic influence comes out of him. Now, it's interesting. So Jesus tells him to be quiet and then commands him to, be, to, to come out. Uh, and when he commands him to come out, the word means literally to come out from. Okay? So you, to, in other words, to separate yourself from him. That's what Jesus is commanding him here. But then it says that the demon came out of him without doing him any harm. Now, there's two parts to that. Let's go to the second part first. First of all, he didn't do him any harm. And you say, well, why didn't he? Because, you know, there were some cases where when, when demons were, were cast out, they, you know, they, they really did try to do, do harm. This one didn't. It's because the meaning of the word here for come out, when it came out of him, what does it literally mean? Fled from him. He, he just immediately escaped. He ran away. And he, it's like he left the guy and ran away. That's the power that Jesus, not you, not I, but that Jesus has over the dark world that is around us. And we need to understand and take great heart in that power as expressed here. And verses 36 and 37 wrap up this particular account. And amazement came upon them all. And they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. So this particular experience was powerful enough and big enough to give the people in that environment a sense of, this is different. We've never seen anything like this ever before. So again, you know, we're, we're, we're telling the story of Carrie Poppy and, and she thought she was being haunted, but she really wasn't. And, you know, you can look at that and say, okay, well, you know, that makes things good and it's, it's better. And, and, and look, those are factual events and, and that's fine. But let's not underestimate that demonic influence is in this world. And Satan poses as an angel of light, and he poses as an angel of light through all kinds of things. And we're not getting into it today, uh, but and we've talked about it many times in the past, but just an example. White witchcraft is an example of Satan, I think, as Satan posing as an angel of light. Witchcraft, the concept of witchcraft, is the concept of being able to conjure and do things 
by using the power of the spirit world. And of course, in white witchcraft, you say, well, you don't do anything to harm anyone. But what you're trying to do is mess with the powers of the spirit world. And we already established last week that angels don't just come and hang around and give you God's influence because they just happen to be there and have a little bit extra in their pocket. That's not the way this all works. This is, if you're, if you're drawing on the spirit world, Jonathan, it's got to come from the wrong side, the dark, gloom, tartarou side. And that is never a good side. So the overriding theme of this event was Jesus' authority over the powers that defile God's creation. And again, contrast that with Satan. Satan t- sought to take over God's creation. Jesus was given authority over God's creation. Big difference. That's what obedience to righteousness does versus disobedience. What's our deconstructing demonism point uh, for this, uh, this particular event? Jesus had and has unequivocal power over the demonic world. They comply with his commands and fear for their very lives before him. You know, we need to realize and accept and understand that the fact that they are afraid of the light is the only way out for us in relation to their influence. It really is, because they're bigger than us, they're stronger than us, they can squash us like a bug anytime they want. Unless we have the light of God through Christ around us. You have a protection by true faith in that. And and so we have to work at making sure that we are focusing on that and not the darkness. And we have to really be careful about these things because it is very, very deceiving. You know, Jonathan, there is great comfort in knowing that Jesus, even as a man, had such complete authority over demons. Why do demons want to possess human beings? What do they gain by it? Is it only about power? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. The fact that these demons are restrained in chains of darkness and their power and influence is under constant guard indicates they have no power for good, for they are locked out of all heavenly sources of good. Aside from power, there may be some factors in their possession of individuals. Uh, Some other factors in their possession of individuals. So, yes, they're all about power, but maybe there's other things as well. And, and, And look, Jonathan, I don't pretend to be an authority on any of this, and frankly, I don't even like talking about it. Um, but it's necessary. It's necessary because we, we're, we live in a dark world that's surrounded with all kinds of things here. So let's consider the idea of mimicking God above, okay? Isn't that what Satan is all about? Uh, you know, we know that God bestows his spirit, his power and influence upon his chosen followers. And, and we know that because the scripture is telling us, um, uh, the scriptures tell us that. First John chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. Now, now, Rick, before, before we move on, yep. are you saying that because God gives us this, this 
power and influence in our lives. That the question, why do demons possess human beings? Are you saying there's a connection somehow there? Yeah, I'm saying that God gives his power and influence in the lives of his truest followers. And that is a spiritual power and a spiritual influence. Okay. And it's supposed to give you, it doesn't make you magic or anything like that, but it's supposed to give you better, stronger spiritual insight, the, the ability to follow after God's will through Jesus in a, in a more full way, better discernment and so forth, because you are all about doing the will of God. And what I'm saying is God begets us with his, his spirit. Satan can't beget anybody with his but he can possess people instead. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a mimicking experience. Ah, kind of like a counterfeit of what yes. God can do. Yes, and just remember, any counterfeit is actually worthless. <laughs> okay, okay? so point. you get the real thing, and that's, that's where the value is. The counterfeit may look good, it may sound good, but it isn't good. So counterfeit is a very good way to describe it. The gift of God's Spirit working in the lives of God's chosen was evident throughout the Old Testament and New Testament times. In the Old Testament, they weren't begotten by the Holy Spirit, but they were given the Spirit to use. Remember Elijah? You know, and and how he used God's Spirit? Elisha, the same way. So, you know, God's Spirit was worked with in the Old Testament, but it wasn't a begettal thing like it is in the New Testament. The gift of begetting Jesus' true followers with God's Spirit was and is evident now in the age of the gospel. Satan and his demons look to counterfeit it. And I think that's where possession comes from. And, you know, it's interesting, before we go any further, you know, I, I mentioned that comment about, you know, they could squash us like a bug. You know, yeah. Trish came running into the room and dropped this big note in front of me and says, squash us like a bug? Anytime? What are you talking about? And, like, and she said, don't they need our permission to influence? And the answer is yes, they do. So it's not like you're going to be taken off guard. It's That will not happen to you if you have faith. It just won't. It can scare you, but you have protection. Demons need permission to get inside your head and your heart. The point is, don't let them. That's, that's, the, that's the point. And Rick, that, that's really susceptible for young people yes. that aren't mature. And they go down those roads of simple, fun little games, like you mentioned, Ouija boards or whatever, where they're just an open target. Yeah, and, and, and that's the unfortunate thing about the way society treats demons in, 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 in entertainment. Demons are entertaining. Well, are they really? Think about this. Casper the Friendly Ghost, what about him? Well, you know, that, that goes way, 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 way back. And you think how innocent that sounds until you start to take it apart. And realize you're talking about a ghost is supposed to be... Now, look, we don't believe in ghosts, but you follow the, 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 the thought. A ghost is supposed to be a disembodied spirit, okay, of some human being. And so you're saying there's this friendly, disembodied spirit, and all the others are, are nasty, and, and, and that's the friend of the kids? What that, all that does is it breaks down the barrier of being afraid of things that we should rightfully be afraid of. That's why we have to be, be on the alert for these kinds of things. Demons try to enter into people, okay? Entrance into any condition, enter into your state of things. Interesting example of that is Luke 22, verses 3 and 4. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. And he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of the temple police about how he might betray him to them. Now, we're not saying that Judas was possessed, 
but it says Satan entered into him. And what that means is Satan's influence took hold of his heart. Why did it take hold of Judas's heart? Because he let it. Because he opened it up so that it could. And because he let it, that he allowed himself to be under the influence of Satan. And the lesson is that Satan's mere influence can lead to our betraying of our Lord. Oh, that's scary. It is. And, and folks, we have to be, be afraid of this, okay? With healthy, godly fear, also knowing that God is bigger, light always overcomes darkness. And we saw how powerful Jesus was even in a, as a human being against these spiritual beings. So we know that God's got this under control. But have a healthy respect to stay away from the, such things. That's kind of and, what we're saying. And we must beware. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let, let's get back to the story of uh, Carrie Poppy. She has found out now that she wasn't being haunted. Uh, she had a gas leak that was causing these symptoms that made her feel like she was haunted. So now let's see where she goes from there. So that haunting story has led me to my job. I'm an investigator, and I'm an investigator in two senses. I'm an investigative journalist, and I'm also an investigator of the claims of the paranormal and claims of the spiritual. And that means a few things. Um, sometimes that means that I'm pretending to need an exorcism so that I can get, uh, yes, that's right, so that I can go to an exorcist and see if he's using gimmicks or psychological tricks to try to convince someone that they're possessed. Um, sometimes that means I'm going undercover in a fringe group, uh, which I report on for a, a podcast that I co-host. And I've done over 70 investigations like this with my co-host, Ross. And I would love to tell you that nine times out of ten, science wins, it saves the day, it's all explained. That's not true. The truth is, ten times out of ten, science wins, it saves the day. <laughs> You know, and that's actually a, a relief to hear that so much of what goes around is explainable if you are just willing to, to sift through and find the facts. And, you know, I'm, I'm, and that's one of the reasons we're, we're playing her story, because it puts a reality around this whole picture. Now, it doesn't mean demons don't exist because they haven't found them. It's just that their existence is on a level that is not quite as overt as everybody would like to think it is. And... We'll, we'll get more into you know some of the the the, the idea of, of possession. I do think that that demon possession can happen. I do. I don't think it's that common, but I think it can happen. And I also think that mental illness uh, can exhibit the exact same symptoms of what possession looks like. So we have to be really careful. Also, Rick, drug addiction yes um, can also um, have similar mental um, effects. Yeah, and, and she's actually going to talk about a little bit of this as, as we move forward in, in our next segment. So again, folks, you want to stay with us for that. Look, demons, we were talking about demons entering. They possess and they control. This is something they seem to crave and they seem to do well at. Okay, um, you know, the, to be exercised by a demon is to be, is in our next verse, the phrase is going to come up to be vexed with a demon. It means to be under the power of a demon. Matthew fifteen twenty two. another example. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Okay. So now this woman, you know, first of all, let, let's talk about the demon, okay? Demons manipulate for their own pleasure. This woman was not a Jew, but she came to Jesus in desperation, 
obviously hearing of his authority. And the interesting thing is that Jesus granted her request. He removed the demon possession from her daughter, and he didn't even have to go see her daughter. That's how powerful Jesus was in as a human being against the, the, the dark spirits. That's great news. It shows you that we have nothing to fear if we stay in the righteous light of God's wisdom and truth. And we really have to focus on staying there. So um, perhaps because of the dark restraints, remember we talked about Tartarou and, and, and the gloom and the darkness that restrain these demons. Maybe, perhaps, and this is you know some, some, some speculation we'll, we'll admit here at this point, perhaps they have kind of an unquenchable longing for any connection with the light of God's creation. Because remember, they were there. They were there during all of the creative process of the earth and all of that. And they saw the light and the power and the grace and the wisdom of God in its, in its grandest sense. Maybe possession of a human might be a way to fulfill that longing, to be a part of the power that they just lost. Matthew 12, 43 to 45, actually speaks of demons in a very unusual way. Jesus is giving us insight into, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but it's almost into the psyche of, of, the, of a demonic mind. And, and it's, it's, well, let's read the verses and then we'll talk about it. Let's start with verse 43 of Matthew 12. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. So, first of all, this shows you their limited power. Okay, when they have found a place to possess and they've gone out, they've been cast out. It says it passes through waterless places. Does that mean demons get thirsty? I don't think so. But I think that in a spiritual sense, they get thirsty. They have this desire, this unquenchable desire, and they can't fulfill it. Once, so, so they are looking for it. They're looking for relief. Once relief is found, they seek to bring that relief to others that are in darkness, as Jesus now says in verses 44 and 45. So he's describing kind of what happens in the mind of, of, of the demons. And, it, and it's really a curious thing to, to understand and helps us to grasp what they're about. Then it says, I will return to my house from whence I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. This is the way it will be also with this evil generation. So it's looking for that satiation of its thirst for whatever it's looking for. And I think it's looking for light. And again, looking for power to, to hold on to. And, it's, and here's the thing, Jonathan. It says, when it comes to the house from whence it came, it comes back to that person. And it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. But the key is, it's unoccupied. And if it's unoccupied, it says, I can come here again, and I can bring seven of my darkest friends with me. So that gives us a sense for filling our minds with righteousness 
and goodness and godliness because that means we're occupied. And when you know, you know, there's no vacancy here. You, if you have a no, <laughs> like that. no vacancy sign, that means there's no room, and they just won't bother you. Uh, Jonathan, Trish is back, so obviously there's something that we're not talking about that she's gonna bring up. <laughs> well, I just have some questions. Maybe yeah. you could clarify for me. Um, uh, chains of darkness. Um, doesn't this mean that they're very limited to their personal influence to humanity? That's what I thought, that when they were put in chains of darkness, that they had a very limited influence they were, and what they could do. And so, like to haunt a house, um, do spirits have the ability to live in our world? I mean, I, it just doesn't make sense to me to haunt a house. So... They it seems to me that they influence our minds by our permission and by our weak, empty, no boundary thinking. If we have, if, our, if we're just allowing whatever to come in, so I, that's my question. I just like you to clarify. All right, so, so just go back to the beginning. That the very first question was chains of darkness. Okay, what does that mean? Essentially? Yeah, what does that mean? Okay. I, I thought it meant they were very limited without yeah. permission. Okay, no, and, and you're right. They are very limited without permission. And that's why, compare what they did in the time of, of Noah. What did they do? They came, they materialized, they became like human beings, and they actually occupied the world alongside of human beings and procreated a, 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 a mutant race that didn't belong. So there was... What they are able to do now versus then is incredibly limited, but it doesn't mean it's still not dangerous. And it does have to do mostly with our minds. The idea of haunting a house, yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical about that myself. Um, all I know is that there is great limitation, and we need to have respect, though, because they're here. They, they are around us and would love to be able to take and, and, and grab control of a part of our minds. So that's that's how I would uh, would would answer that particular question at this at this moment. Thanks Trish, good question. Keep them coming because this is this is important. So Jonathan, permission to enter is possible when we don't have righteousness occupying our minds. Satan and his demons are looking for places to plant and flourish their influence. Let's remember that, let's focus on that and let's have healthy respect for it. And Jonathan, when you have healthy respect for the cliff you know, that goes down, you know, several hundred feet, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and the edge is, you know, the rocks are all loose on the edge. Your healthy respect should say, I'm not going to test and see how loose those rocks are. I'm just going to stay away and just walk to my destination. Absolutely. So what's our deconstructing demonism point right here? Demons, though they are shackled in darkness, have a need to interact with the light of God's creation. Their influence enters humans as they seek power, manipulation, and rest. See, they want to manipulate because that's an expression of power. Somebody, When somebody has power, if they can't do something with it, then like, what good is it? So I think oftentimes demons toy with the human race. They toy with us because they're that much bigger and that much stronger than we are. Even in their limited abilities, they're still something that we should never mess with. Just don't go there. It is just not a smart thing. Look, living here in this present evil world, 
Even good news of God's overruling is still very cautious news indeed. Obviously, demonic influence is destructive. How do we make sure we don't ever get caught up in it? By God's grace. Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. The whole point of talking about this frightening subject is to help us to be aware, for the world around us is far too welcoming when it comes to the powers of darkness. Because these powers have been around for so long, we can also be sure that God's protection from them has been there all along as well. And Jonathan, there is incredible evidence in Scripture that God's power is always going to be there to lift you up when you need to be lifted up, especially when dealing with things like this, if we are staying faithful to it. That really gives us peace and comfort knowing that, Rick. And, and we need such peace and comfort because this is really kind of scary. Let's go back to uh, Carrie Poppy. Uh, we got two more sound bites from her. Uh, this was a TED Talk she gave called The Scientific Approach to the Paranormal. And so now she's become an investigator of paranormal, and she finds science proves uh, inevitably in all cases, uh, what's actual real truth. And she gets into something that I think is really important here that will be very uh, applicable to our own conversation. So let's listen to this conclusion. Now, I believe there are two kinds of truth, and it's taken me a while to get to this place, um, but I think this is right, so hear me out. I think there is outer truth and there's inner truth. So if you say to me, There was a man named Jesus, and he once existed. That's outer truth, right? We can go and we can look at the historical record. We can determine whether that seems to be true. And I would argue it does seem to be true. Um, If you say, Jesus rose from the dead. Ooh, trickier. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I, I would say, I would say that's an outer truth claim. Because he physically rose or he didn't. I'm not going to get into whether he rose or he didn't. But I would say that's an outer truth claim. It happened or it didn't happen. But if you say, I don't care whether he rose from the dead. It's symbolically important to me. And that metaphor is so meaningful, so purposeful to me. And I'm not going to try to persuade you of it. Now you've moved it from outer truth to inner truth, from science to art. And I think we have a tendency to not be clear about this, to try to move our inner truths to outer truths, or to not be fair about it to each other, and when people are telling us their inner truths, to try to make them defend them by outer truth standards. So I think this, this bears some, some conversation. And, and look, you know, we do believe that Jesus actually did raise from the dead, okay? You know, and, and, and others can doubt it, and, you know, I say time will tell, okay? Uh, and, and we'll leave that argument there, because I truly believe time will tell. But the point about outer truth and inner truth is that the inner truth that we have in our lives sometimes is our perceptions of the reality and what we deem to be important. And sometimes in what we deem to be important, we put other things aside that may 
may actually be important, but they're not important to me right here, right now. That becomes an inner truth and that becomes a guiding light. Sometimes that guiding light is not actual truth. That's, but to me, if I'm going down that crooked road that I shouldn't be, that's the truth and that's what I'm following. You know, for, um, so, so I think we need to be careful to understand in, in my mind. Now, look, as a Christian, what, what we determine to be outer truth is probably going to be different than, than, than others. But let me give you my perception of it in our conversation right now. Outer truth is demons exist. They do. They are fallen from, fallen of God's heavenly creation. And they are in darkness. They have restraints, but they still have influence. Therefore, have healthy respect and stay away from such darkness because it can be damaging if you give it permission to become part of your life. To me, that's all outer truth. Now, what somebody does with that is their own inner truth. I just think we need to focus on the big picture according to what we've learned from Scripture so far. Make sense? It does. Thank you. Hopefully, anyway. (laughs) I needed that explanation. (laughs) Okay. God's protection was made plain way back when Jewish law was established. And this is uh, the principle, the exact principle I was just explaining. I should have done the scripture first, but duh. (laughs) Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12. We'll take it in a few pieces. When they enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. Okay, so he's saying when you enter the promised land, I am telling you before you even get there, don't even think about imitating all of their 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 rituals of religion. Those things are not good and they're not for you. So before they get there, he's telling them, don't do that. Go ahead. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts out spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. So he lists all of these different things, and he says, none of this should be among you. So God is telling them before they get there, all of these things X off of your wish list or whatever list it may be on because it is inappropriate, it is dark, and it will cause me, God, to be angry. Let's finish the verse. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. So now you say, well, wait. Why is that detestable to God? I mean, can't he just, you know, sort of live and let live? Okay, have your chosen people worship you and let them do whatever they want? Well, Rick, this is giving permission uh, for those to deal in, in evil spiritual realms uh, with these fallen angels. So that means you would prefer to go that direction than God? Really? And, and, and let's think about it. Let's put it all in perspective. Who created us? God. <laughs> what was the first commandment? Thou, Thou shalt shall have no other gods before me. Everything listed here falls into the, into the situation of the first couple of commandments, not making graven images, having no other gods before God. That's why it's detestable, because you're taking the Creator and making a mockery of him by worshiping darkness 
instead of the Creator. And that's why God says, never, ever should you be part of any of this. So it is because it, it, it takes away the, 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 the glory of the one who created and gives it to rocks and trees and evil spirits. And, and God is saying, no, that just simply will not, that is not, it's an abomination. Deconstructing demonism, what is it at this point? Stand in God's protection. If its origin is not based on sound biblical principle, walk away. All right, so if you come across some kind of an influence that you think is pretty cool, and it looks pretty awesome, and look what it can accomplish, if it's not based in sound biblical principle, I say, the scriptures say, walk away. Don't have anything to do with it. That's how you stand in God's protection. Use sound biblical principles as your tools. Next point, Jonathan, New Testament warnings focus us on having an awareness of Satan and his objectives. So we need to know what it is that we're fighting against, even though what we're fighting against is so much bigger than we are. First Peter chapter 5 verses 6 through 9, and we'll, again, we'll take that in pieces. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Okay, so you've got this humility thing that constantly comes up in our podcasts. You know, I don't think that we go through a single podcast ever where humility is not part of the whole the whole recipe for godliness. You're so right, Rick. And, and here's the thing, Jonathan. Understand that if we are going to dabble with darkness, we are humbling ourselves to that darkness. It's not a good place to be. This says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. When you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, there's no room to humble yourself under anything else. But if we move ourselves from the mighty hand of God, then there's room for other things to be humbled to, and it's never good. Verse 8 is the example of that. Be of a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, we're talking about demons and, and you know darkness and, and spirits that are restrained. This is an entirely different picture, but it's a very appropriate picture in this particular verse. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. And you know, the roar of the lion is said to freeze its prey for that Paralyzed. Second. You're paralyzed. You can't move. And so it has a head start and it can pounce. And Satan would like nothing better than to take uh, the children of God who are following after Christ and to be able to pounce on them. I'm not saying he's going to possess you or anything like that, but the influence of darkness wants to take your mind away from the light. That's what the scripture is saying. So what are we supposed to do? Verse 9. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So there's a camaraderie that we should have and we should hold on to because this is a bigger battle than you or I are able to, to, to fight on our own. So you've got to link arms with those of like faith and say, let's stand together. So deconstructing demonism, there's going to be a theme throughout this final segment. What is it here? Stand in God's protection. We fight Satan and his demons with humility before God awareness of evil, and a decision to stand firm. 
And then we should add a decision to stand firm alongside of others of faith. And I think we should just mm-hmm. add that in there because nice. it's standing firm together because that's mutual encouragement. And sometimes, Jonathan, if I'm tempted in a way that I really, that, that can be a little dangerous, I don't necessarily see that, but you can see it and you can say, Hey, Rick, you know, what, what are you doing? Yep. Come on, like, you know, do I need to smack you upside your head or what? You know, what are you doing? Wake up. <laughs> it's a support system. That's right. So anytime you need to smack the side of the head, Jonathan, you go right ahead. <laughs> no, sir. I would well, not do that. you know what I mean. <laughs> Sometimes we need to figuratively get a little, little smack on it. You know what my dad used to do? He used to flick us in the head. You know, Ouch. and boy, it hurt, and it made the point that he mastered the flick, man, and it would be, it would like echo in your brain. It's like, oh. whoa, I'm not doing that again. Sometimes we need that, and we need to help that, each other. That explains a lot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, yeah, you're right, it does. <laughs> Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through twelve, and again, there's a theme here of standing in God's protection. You see, Ephesians six, ten through twelve. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. See, we have no chance against those things unless we stand in the strength of the Lord and his might. What's the deconstructing demonism point here? Stand in God's protection. We fight with God's strength and his full body armor, for our enemy is far too big for us. Stand in his protection. He will arm you if you are willing to be armed by him. Let, let, let's finish up very quickly uh, the TED Talk from Kerry Poppy, her final, uh, her final comments here. And there was an objective reality in my haunted house, right? Now that I've told you about the gas leak, I doubt a single person here would be like, I still think there was a ghost too. <laughs> because as soon as we have these scientific explanations, we know to give up the ghost. We use these things as stop gaps for things that we can't explain. We don't believe them because of evidence, We believe them because of a lack of evidence. So the objective reality, what we're saying, Jonathan, is for anyone who's following after Christ, the objective reality is you have protection. You have it. You have the light. Stay with the light, and you have nothing to fear. Have a healthy respect for those things, but you have nothing to be afraid of. Well, Rick, what forms of demonic influence do we need to avoid besides possession? You know, modern day, you know, you can you can mess around uh, with things like spirit guides and tarot cards and Ouija boards and palm reading and horoscopes and ghost hunting and seeking these things, even as a curiosity, invites destruction into your life. Do not do those things. Don't seek after them because the curiosity is one of the tools that Satan uses to draw us from the light, and we need to dwell in light. Finally, James 4, uh, verses 4, then verses 7 and 8. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, so that sounds kind of weird, like, what? You can't have any friends in the world? That's not That what does it's... sound weird. Yeah, it's not exactly what it said. It said that when we have friendship with the world, meaning when we are walking with them along the lines that they walk, that's what it's talking about here. 
That is hostility toward God because that's inevitably going down a path that we should never be going down. So let's finish verses 7 and 8. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there you have it. Resist the devil, he will flee. That's a promise. How do you resist the devil? You stand strong in God's protection by all the things we've talked about. And then you purify your hearts. You get yourself to be single-minded instead of double-minded. What's our final deconstructing demonism thought for the day? Stand in God's protection. Stand in single-minded, loyal resistance to the devil, and he will give up on you. God is always greater. You know, single-minded, loyal resistance. That's what it takes to win this battle. And Jonathan, you can't win it by yourself. No, I can't. I can't win it by myself. And even if you and I team up, we can't win it by ourselves. What we need is something bigger, something greater, something stronger. We need the power of God through Christ. We need the Holy Scriptures. And we need to decide that those are the things that we're going to live by and live according to. And all else we're just going to put away from us. Resist the devil and he will flee. Remember, Jesus has such power over the demonic beings because he is God's son. That's all we need to know. And that is deeply comforting. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It's a tough subject. It's an important subject. And we want to have a healthy fear and respect of things that are beyond us so we stay with godliness every day and every moment of our lives. Again, how do demons influence our world? A lot of different ways. The key is stay away from it. Think about it. Folks, listen, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And Jonathan, we're stuck on this theme coming up next week. We'll be talking about can zombies possibly be real? Really? Zombies? <laughs> We'll talk to you next week.